0: Zach langley I'm so popular. Last week on the show, we discussed the cursed Instagram of Arai Atsushi and the film Death in Venice. Today, we are reflecting on true American transcendentalism through the living, breathing piece of art that is Caitlyn Jenner herself and Lana Del Rey's incredible album, Blue Bannisters and I'm joined here by a returning guest, who are you?
1: Hi, I'm Jenny Skoons. Um, hey Jenny Schoons. what are hi. you doing? Well, I'm a pop star in the making, um, and I'm living in London and I'm working in a gay bar and I'm pursuing doomed, semi-platonic situationships with endless twinks, and I'm releasing a single on the third of March <laughs> called "Beautiful Woman." Uh, As one does, available on all streaming platforms.
0: Um, I will say, actually, um, usually when I've had like musicians and stuff on, I'm always, you know, like, oh, that's nice, like, good work. Um, however, I actually think, for like, in terms of indie music artistry, your music is like quite good. And I remember the first time. <laughs> that David and I listened um, to some of your older releases, and we were both very impressed. You are an actual songwriter. You have a perspective. Your songs have momentum. I would highly encourage everyone, give good Jenny here a listen.
1: Yes. I am... Yeah, I'm a fucking poet. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, you're a returning guest, as I said. You were a part of my legendary History of Sexuality trilogy... Um, on the third episode, which not all that many people have gotten to, so some may have not have heard you there, but uh, you were also a foundational part of my season two finale, uh, playing the role of Lady Mayday in my audio drama.
1: Yeah, my starring role.
0: Yeah, you actually gave the best performance I think out of anyone on the episode it was so uncanny how you just like sunk into the uh (laughs) the operatic like (sighs) like (laughs)
1: like,
0: (laughs) transgender goddess I imagined you as so thank you for your hard work on that
1: of course baby I mean you know I can I can sing I can write I can act um I can do a face yeah What can't you do? (laughs) Uh, Secure a stable and fulfilling relationship.
0: Well, sounds familiar for trans people. So, (laughs) party. And speaking of trans people, this is a really anticipated topic. I've been wanting to cover Caitlyn Jenner on my show for ages. Um, I hope that over the course of my podcasting career, I can address every member of the Kardashian family and their offshoots uh, one step at a time. So far, Anna Katchian and I were lucky enough to talk about Kim together. Today, we're bringing it to Caitlyn. And in my mind, Caitlyn Jenner is one of the most fabulous, compelling, transfixing pop culture figures of all time. She is an absolute meteorite that changed (laughs) the way that history works and we will never be the same I believe she is a pure and beautiful spirit. I love everything about her. And I truly believe that her time on Earth and public presence has been the most extraordinary and grand piece of public performance art ever conducted. But tell me about your relationship with Kate. Like, how did you come to love her? When did you become interested in her? What was your reaction to her coming out? I need the whole story.
1: Okay, I mean, so I think... Before I get into my my Kate, I think one my thing you Kate. said, my Kate <laughs> <laughs> about her being a pure spirit. I think that's really like key. I think whatever Kate media you're consuming, whatever people she may or may not have run over, I think the thing that comes across with her for me is, despite whatever like stubborn take she may have whatever child she may have neglected to be at the graduation of there is this innate sort of pureness of spirit that for me means that all of the kind of mess and noise is like worthwhile absolutely um yeah i think she's a very interesting figure because like you say she's at this center of so much sort of iconography in terms of transgender politics but also iconography in terms of american ideals and masculinity uh, throughout her life but a lot of a lot of her life she's very passive and things happen to her and even when she's making this massive step and transitioning in i am kate She's quite sort of static. Mm-hmm. She Things happen around her. And she's just kind of there being pure of intention. And I think that is really interesting. Because I think she's, it's very
0: interesting too. Because you're exactly right. She She's not an actor. She's not ever the one who um, is kind of willfully shaping things around her with one major exception, which is her deciding to publicly transition. Yeah, and she did it. Exactly. Yeah. Because the rest of her life, um, before and after that, is mm. a sequence of non moving stillness and a lack of decision making. She's very much an Ikari Shinji figure, but she mm. did have the power to announce herself as transgender and make this public performance of herself. And that is the one time she ever acted. But yeah, so tell me, I'm very curious about what your Mm. relationship with her has been over the years.
1: So uh, what's interesting, I think, is that I am of the generation that the transgender tipping point, which I think Caitlyn Jenner is the biggest sort of most seismic shift within. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened in direct correlation with my coming out or whatever. So I I remember I kind of, I, I, w- I would watch Orange is the New Black. I was aware of Laverne Cox. I sort of saw something in that, that I thought maybe that is what I could be. But when I, but, I mean, when I actually transitioned, it was more like Boy George and Culture Club and like sort of neuromantic romantic stuff. But it happened that the exact year I was doing that, and I had a girlfriend at the time who uh, I broke up with to then come out uh, very Bruce of me. Um, that was happening at the same time as Caitlyn Jenner came out and I remember I remember like being in group chats where like her friends were making jokes about Caitlyn Jenner and how ridiculous it was and like all of this stuff where like that that moment her transition just happened to be at the same time as mine and although she wasn't the reason it kind of ineffably shaped How I would then go out into the world as a trans woman because for the longest time, when you said trans, that was the first thing anyone thought of. I think we kind of, it's very easy to underestimate. And I was really struck by it reading over the Vanity Fair article, but also just like any kind of media around Caitlyn Jenner at that time. How sort of before, like, it was such a watershed moment in that before that, people kind of. I don't know. I just feel like transness wasn't on on the radar. It wasn't um, in the public consciousness as much, and for better or worse, it is a lot more now. Um, and she well, was I think you're r-
0: exactly right about like her becoming the definition of transgender, and it was at such like a pivotal moment. This quote, "transgender tipping point," unquote, was mm. basically brought in by the conclusion of a long American political story arc of gay marriage being finally legalized. And from that point, uh, gay men were kind of shifted into an easily slotted uh, cultural role that basically everyone find them to be ambiently annoying and could graduate them from being, you know, victims of inequality to, uh, basically cogs in the racism machine. And so the way people started talking about gay men following the legalization of gay marriage was as like the malicious, evil, white gays. And so, of course, the Democratic Party needing some new cultural nexus to use for their platform and the election of their not-so-great politicians Mm. who's next but the special transgenders. And Mm. this was kind of... Heralded it in by, like you said, Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black. Um, Her cover on Time Magazine, The Transgender Tipping Point. There's a lot of, like, popular writing and memoirs by, like, um, God, what's her name? Something Cox. So just a, not Laverne Cox, wait, (laughs) Janet Mock, got it. Janet Janet Mock, Mock.
1: Janet Mock. Uh, That was was also... Defining realness—is that what her book was called? Yeah,
0: I think redefining realness. Redefining realness. Yeah, so there was a lot of like popular like pulp memoir writing at this time about like Mm. about trans women as well, and basically what had been kind of publicly perceived as just like cross dressing and Mm. like gay men, basically for all of these years, was suddenly made very different, and it all came in the shape of Caitlyn Jenner's cover of Vanity Fair. Call me Caitlyn, but um, I think that the public perception of her and the absolute like meteoric size of the cosmic object of her celebrity and how much this took up like the brain space of the American public is like unlike anything else, and it is of course because she is a like proxy Kardashian, and mm. both of us love. Keeping up oh, with the Kardashians. Of course. Of course. You lo- introduced yeah, me we- to them. I mean, I like, know. obviously
1: I knew who they were, but I only took them seriously as an artwork because of you. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. a right thing to do.
0: Well <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: the Kardashians did
0: something so special with keeping up their long term E entertainment network reality mm. show that basically almost completely by mistake, ended up documenting the nature of how fame is born and how an image is made in the 21st century. They got really lucky with casting Kim after her sex Mm -hmm. tape and making that whole um, choice to bring them on for what used to be kind of an old-school American reality TV show. It used to be pretty, like, similar in tone and character to stuff like uh, like The Simple Life, but... What kind of ended up happening is that because kim started becoming this like central fugal cultural point for all of like americanism as a concept yeah like it became this really well, uncanny strange kanye West. by the way like absolutely a big part of you it. know
1: yeah <laughs> like need not be just that, that and that i think that's important as well because uh i mean he kanye is a famous tranny chaser well, exactly. I mean, I was, yeah, in um the first episode of I Am Kate, season one, when he meets Haylin for the first time, there's something about his demeanor that's so sort of coy, but knowing. And yes. then in the voiceover, Kim says, you know, like it was really through Kanye that I was able to understand this. Cause he, like <laughs> Kanye told me that like, you know, she's just who she is. Or, oh, well, I think at that point Kim's saying he, he's just who he is. And it's like, oh, Kanye knows because Kanye has fucked
0: these people. You Plenty know? of experience with trans women, like, uh, in and around him. Basically, like, all, like, popular American I mean, rappers made, are, like, ambiently he surrounded made by Kim trans Kardashian girls. Kim
1: Kardashian into a trans woman.
0: Mm-hmm. No, totally. Uh, I mean, she, like, her femininity is so, like, exaggerated and, like, kind of, like, physically crafted that it, it's completely a transgender image, which is also why Mugler, like, loved dressing her.
1: And which is also why Caitlyn Jenner really makes sense in that world of, like, iconography. Without, like, yeah. I think, just to circle back briefly, I think uh, the thing we were saying about the the shift cannot be, like, overstated. Uh, And I think, so I've been rewatching HBO Girls, Lena Dunham, Queen, and there's a really interesting shift between, I think, season four and season five, where suddenly you get all these weird references to transgender politics, and these, like, half-hearted attempts at commentary and jokes that they don't, like, they don't know what to do with the joke but they just sort of put it out there. They mention transness as a sort of feeler. And it's like, I think, in the post Caitlin Jenner world, you can just feel that it's just there in the Lexus and in everyone's subconscious as something that they're thinking about. Yeah, because it wasn't uh, there before in the way that gay men were, because no, like, gay men were visible in to culture people.
0: forever. Like, they've been so... Yeah. Present. And if they weren't present enough, there was the, you know, fucking HIV-AIDS epidemic, which is a defining cultural image out of the 80s that basically yeah. infected the minds of the entire, like, world. And, of and course, so,
1: trans women then were sublimated into the, the gay men. Exactly. And there was no, like,
0: cultural prominence for mm. trans women. And it literally happened, like, overnight, over the course of a year, basically, with this, quote, tipping point, unquote. And with Caitlyn Jenner, mm. Laverne Cox,
1: and... To have Caitlyn oh, at the those, center those of it fucking, all. Oh, and those fucking, those fucking glittering images from Annie, Annie Leibovitz, like, mm-hmm. they, they were so, um, potent, I think. Uh, I mean, they're
0: shocking, to be quite honest, like, they yeah. are shocking and
1: it's... And I remember, I remember mm-hmm. when the cover came out, the joke was that Caitlyn Jenner looked like Lana Del Rey, like, that was the joke. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, it's because they both are kind of like oversized people, you know, in some yeah. way. And it's like the image of Caitlyn that is on the cover in this very high cut white dress. A like very a white high white. Cut. It's not. It's not a dress. It's like a yeah, one like piece.
1: A, yeah, like a jumps. Like a no, not a jumpsuit. Like a. Oh, I don't know what they're called, but yeah, yeah,
0: yes, and Body suit. she, she's making this coy, knowing expression. She mm. is. Teasing the idea of herself as a sensual object while also projecting a little bit of, like, nervousness, accessibility, Mm. and self-consciousness. And it's taken in this very strange backdrop of, like, these, like, almost, like, metallic, glossy mirrors. Mm. So it's, like, this onslaught of images of her that are slowly in this, like, gauze coming at Mm. you. And... Vera pointed this out, and I thought it was really interesting. The pose that she's in, where we have this sensuality, but her arms are pinioned behind her. And it mm-hmm. looks almost as if she's, like, chained up, or, like, yeah. in restraints.
1: Mm. I think, also, there's uh, there's several images of her... Because all of these photos were taken in her home. Mm-hmm. Um, which, obviously, she bought with a divorce settlement from, from Chris. Uh... And there's several images of her in a sort of, almost like Mariah Carey-esque sort of bejeweled dress, looking out over the um, Californian vista Mm -hmm. in these really big windows. Um, And it just, I mean, it it just is so akin to the visuals we later got in the um, uh, White Mustang music video from Lana. Uh, of that that woman, or high by the beach, even which is at that time, of this woman sort of above the world, looking out, very glamorous, removed, and an object, but with some kind of agency
0: within that, yeah, and I think Annie like absolutely understood taking these pictures that like she was. Mm. Creating what is going to be a defining American image. And Mm. so much of like the stuff that's not on the cover includes inclusions of like the lighting rigs or extra Mm. cameras like intruding Mm. on the photo. And so the status of this as an image that's about to change everything is immediately presented. And the photos are very postmodern and disquieting. I find them to be like kind of scary, to be honest. It feels like, um, the beginning of, like, the um, the Richard Wagner opera, like Das mm. Rheingold, when it's just that one tone that's, like, steadily increasing until it starts, like, spinning out of control. Like, I feel like everyone kind of knew that this, like, mm. introduction of Caitlin was something so powerful and enormous that it could not be, like, contemplated. And it was, like, kind of, like, frightening and suspenseful and everyone was kind of like, uneasy as it was about to happen.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, there's there's one in particular where there's a telescope on the... on the balcony outside the window, um, pointing kind of up to the sky. Again, like in High by the Beach. And I think there's something also really lonely about those images, because she has... They're
0: very lonely.
1: ...all of this regalia But uh, And then you see the rigging around her and, you know, the odd, like, makeup artist or whatever. But essentially, it's just this very glamorous doll in the middle of nowhere, looking at nothing.
0: Oh, very true. No (laughs) agent to confirm her. Like, the idea...
1: And the, the, sorry, the, the this...
0: audience becomes the the confirmation. Yeah. It, that's the whole point of all of the inclusion of these cameras and everything is that And that's like, why
1: she's looking at us like that.
0: Exactly. Because yeah. like to be in my mind, I've talked about this like in the past, like the the thing that it's kind of been lost as like transgender politics have like spun out of control in the last like few years is that like it takes like work um mm. as a trans person to like actually successfully reform your own image and present it Mm. so that you can reshape the world around you and be seen in the way that you want to be seen which i think is very powerful and like interesting and takes like a lot of like force of will and so it's so interesting to see her like restaging that kind of interaction that's like so foundational in my mind to like how trans women like kind of uh psychically present themselves in public but like doing it directly with like the millions of onlookers that are going to come from this magazine cover
1: well i mean and it's what it's what a trans girl does every time she posts like a like her resilient selfie on her story or which all of them do including kate yeah yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) it's just yeah the i think and i think you know, every trans girl wants to be a star. Every trans girl wants their Vanity Fair moment. And it's because I think it comes from that impetus of needing to assert your image on the world around you and have that have that position of power from which to dictate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting, and I think you touched on it when you were talking about her gaze into the camera on that cover, is the way that... <clears throat> In I Am Kate especially, but also kind of throughout all of Keeping Up, Kate is like deeply asexual. Oh yeah. Like she, she will not, um, in I Am Kate, bl- bloody Jenny Boylan is like, you know, tell us who you fancy, like get a vagina, have sex. Like Jenny Boylan's like, do it, uh, cause she's a pest. Um, But, <laughs> but Hayden is so resistant and so closed off to it. And it's really interesting because that image is so coyly, deeply sexual. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, um, all we get in I'm Kate is that kiss with Candice in the last episode.
0: I want to talk more about, like, the lead-up in the context that makes this image <clears> possible. Because both you and I, as religious, keeping up viewers, like, mm. have seen the public presentation of Bruce. Mm. Bruce and Caitlin are different people. I mean, Bruiser. they're exactly the same, but, like, Bruce are... Okay, Bruiser. He, he is quite literally, ah. like... <laughs> like, he's the want So, the entirety of his presence on the show is as a sadistically dominated, castrated male <laughs> figure who is victim to this glamorous world of Amazonian, Cathonian, Pollyan women who boss him around, um, put there's um like a five episode arc and I think like season seven or so mm. where Chris Jenner refuses to let Bruce have space for his toy helicopters. <laughs> and this plot line goes on for five episodes in which he moves out of the house like three times because the female presence of the Kardashians is so intense that it doesn't, only like emotionally castrate him it physically removes his objects (laughs) and like sequesters him into the garage and like he presents himself kind of like as this like foppish like loserly Mm. like macho dad and i feel like this is very true of like the 2000s and early 2010s when this was all unfolding because it designated a moment in culture where masculinity had lost its power and mm. we had just burnt out of all like the raunchy like sex frat bro comedies of the mid-2000s and we yeah american
1: pie was over
0: american pie was over and we were entering into the makeup clown reality of kim Kardashian and her sisters mm. and <laughs> it, it makes sense that like bruce would be like at the center of that. And Mm. I feel like he just resonates so hard with like the masculine struggle of Americans at that time.
1: Yes. And I think that's another really interesting thing. And probably like an important thing is that, I mean, in, in every single instance, post-transition that Caitlin talks about himself pre-transition, she uses the other pronouns, she refers to Bruce, she says it's a different person, and mm-hmm. that as someone who, me personally, as someone who never really, like, I was never a boy, like, at best I was a very clockable faggot, you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that was never the case for me, I never had a sort of alter ego, or uh, another person that I had to sort of shed off like a second skin to then be my real self and i think that's like a real stark difference but i think it uh, a difference between what kate represents and what like a lot of like trans people now coming up are what they live what their truth is uh but i think it's significant because it kind of is symptomatic of where where she comes from And it's also, it feeds into, like you're saying, what she represents for American masculinity.
0: Absolutely. And it's, like, obviously her big, um, like, victory at the Olympics, um, Mm. which, when we talk about the memoir, like, so boring. He clearly Mm. didn't care about it at all and was, like, literally just, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fucking Forrest Gump, like, running to, like, distract himself from, like, Jenny yes. or, like, whatever. <laughs> like, with the, Jenny being Caitlyn, but...
1: <laughs> the, yes, yes! Uh, what was it called? The, the Grand Diversion? Is that how he referred to it? I believe so. Yeah, the Grand Diversion. Yeah,
0: yeah and it's so funny because, like... That image of him with the flag, that black and white picture, the Wheaties mm. boxes, the fitness um, tapes he made with uh, w- with Kris Jenner, it yeah. all like a. Uh, it's so funny because you know he he was quite handsome before his like botched mm-hmm. surgeries and like his first round at maybe transitioning in the '90s and. Yeah. Um, the B cups, baby. The B cups. Oh yeah,
1: as and, if they were B cups. I'm sorry, like. I, I don't believe that. They would have at least... Like, they would have been an A, surely.
0: Surely an A. <laughs> surely.
1: I mean, look at his build. They would not have been Bs. And also, they'd no. have been far too visible. Anyway, that's my... That's my tea.
0: Him and his polo shirts. Like, come on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> But it's so funny because, like,
0: his interests are, like, so classically, like, dumb guy. Like, he has, well, like, like the washed up, like... But it's also, like, autistic AGP tranny stuff, too. <laughs> like Oh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He, like, loves, like flying remote helicopters and like atvs and he has like a remote helicopter and remote car club that he hangs out with with his little friends
1: and it's so i mean it's it's charming he's dyslexic as well right i mean it's all i mean there's okay not to bring up a quote from the secrets of my life but i'm gonna do it uh so she says i never felt feminine but I did identify as female. What is femininity anyway? It is entirely what anyone wants it to be because I continue to love car racing and motocross and motorcycling. So in You're a way- insightful, Caitlin. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> no, but it is, it's evolved. Cause it's like, she, I think one of the main reasons why people hated her, especially cis women hated her when she transitioned was because she would make sort of these comments about like being a woman was hard because of like having to choose the lipstick for the day. And cis women would read that as her reducing being a woman to those things. But actually, her understanding of, or at least her and her co writers' understanding of femininity is encompassing of things that are you know like i mean kendall always goes on about being a tomboy i mean she's barely a tomboy like girl's are supermodel but the the version of femininity that both of them the the jenna version of femininity that i think is distinct from the kardashian version mm-hmm. um yeah it incorporates a lot and it does have those sort of like autistic dyslexic trans girl things going on like you know, I'm sure Caitlyn also, like me, has a Terminator action figure on her bookshelf, you know? Oh, absolutely. But the yeah. thing is also that, like, when everyone was so
0: outraged by, especially like trans women and cis women, basically mm. everyone was pissed off about her saying, the hardest part of the day is what shoes I'm going to put on. <laughs> it's like, but to be honest, like, do you not that- think that that's, like, low key, like, kind of true? Like, it's so I'm hard. Sure, I'm sure, like, stuff like, childbirth periods sexism okay boohoo i don't give a fuck about (laughs) sexism to be honest i feel like honestly sexism is
1: thrilling that's exactly
0: it's exciting (laughs) everyone loves to be abjugated a little bit like duh and so the honestly the hardest part is like how you as a woman um who are so sensitive to having to Create your image every day. Women have to do this in a way that men do not, where they mm. every day must choose how to present themselves, how they're going to willingly sexualize themselves and create themselves on earth. And I feel like that is the, like, every woman. And it's like,
1: so, it's so um, intensely subtle in the sense that when I choose to, like, line my lips, right, I have this gorgeous Charlotte Tilbury pillow talk lip liner. Uh-huh. Um, and it's kind of like it's kinda like a lip job in a lip liner, like it's great. But if I go too far over the top and then it's like I've drawn so that you can tell that I've drawn over my lip line. Like I can't like count the number of people that have like well, boys people, the number of boys that have like, you know, been so disparaging about women who will like overdraw their lips. They're like, Oh, she overdraws her lips, she's like whatever that means, you know, like, it has these implications. I love overdrawing my lips. I mean, I, as do I. I live. I love having hooker lips. <laughs> but this is what I mean. The, the, um, the minute, the minute of, like, being a woman, like, something as subtle as, like, having your lip liner, like, a centimeter higher up is enough to have you sort of, um, uh, just sort of you're
0: cast down from heaven. Exactly,
1: yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's fucking hard. Yeah, like, so it's I fucking like, exhausting. I,
0: like, I really like that she actually makes that, like, a part of her identity is saying that, like, choosing your makeup and what you're going to wear is actually one of the hardest parts of being a woman. I think it's very true. And I also feel like the reason so many people are, like, pissed off about her is because she represents, like, this sinister possibility in the realm of men because mm. i can imagine lots of like chris jenner types who would be married to someone they perceived as macho and you know they had you know an appreciation for their masculinity and then the idea that all of that can be inhaled into the feminine vortex mm-hmm. while you're not paying attention it's very frightening and also it must be frightening for women to see that someone is being vocal about the things that they don't want you to know are actually Mm. so important to being a woman. They want you to think it's all about sexism and rape culture, when in fact, Mm. I imagine women inherently know that actually so much of like the day-to-day life is made up of these things that only Caitlyn Jenner is too ignorant not to keep in the dark.
1: (laughs) It's also like, I think Bruce was a straw man, you know? Bruce was like uh, a hollow, a hollow being and you can see there's like someone inside that hollow man who retreats across the keeping up series like Mm -hmm. at the beginning i think he's quite present and i think you know when he like grabs kylie off the fucking stripper pole and like slings him over his shoulder that's like almost like that to me that's the most like lasting image of him as like being masculine and patriarchal uh, an American, an American man, that I... that I have. Because uh, after then,
0: that, the the female power supersedes him. Because exactly. Because the Kardashians become way too
1: famous for him to stop them. And you just see him recede and recede. The man, like, the man of him is just sort of... blocks out, checks out. It's, it's withering and
0: shrinking, and it's quite fast. And that's when his hair starts, when he starts growing out his yeah, hair. Yeah, no,
1: and then you get things like the diamond earring, and... All the girls are taking the piss out of him for it, and there's something so fucking spooky about him just being there with his diamond earring and his like slicked back grown out hair, and they're all taking the piss, and he's just there like, "I like it." <laughs> <And it's> like, <laughs> he gets. Um, it's so
0: uncanny, like watching like Chloe and everyone interact with him during the show. Well, because, and I mean, like,
1: Chloe's Chloe's bitter because Caitlin stole the T girl card. <laughs> what does that mean? cuz Chloe's the T-girl. Like Chloe was the original T-girl. Oh, yeah, because
0: she's she's Clocky Boots.
1: Yeah, she's she's she's, she's Clocky Boots she's bulky. linebacker.
0: Yeah, she she's Clocky Boots linebacker soldier dating like a fucking like NBA player like yeah. that's that's T-girl shit.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> but no, you're right. And it, I just it's so uncomfortable when you watch back and you see like these like haunting reverations from the future of Mm. like them like making fun of like Bruce for like being a girl basically and like (laughs) like they there's so many weird references to like them chopping off his balls like Chloe, Rob, Scott. Everyone talks about how Chris has literally like snipped his dick off and he's like a little dog that they've like done the the fucking surgery on. I think no
1: and wasn't at one point at one point doesn't Kim Some, no, it's, it's Bruce. Bruce has a dog that they (gasps) castrate. And then they put the fake, the prosthetic balls in the sack so that he still feels like a man. And Bruce is like, he needs them so that he still feels like a man. Like... what the fuck genius psychic
0: emotional narratives being told over across the reality <laughs> tv medium girl like it's, it's insane it's so shocking to see it happen <laughs> and it all climaxes in maybe my two favorite hours of television of all time about bruce part <laughs> one and part two <laughs> let's talk about bruce about bruce so this is before she's transitioned. It's just yeah. Bruce with the long hair and it is a stone cold awkward confrontation between <laughs> the family where they go into this very uncomfortable detail about how all of this is going to happen. And the episode of course came out after the Diane Sawyer interview, mm. I believe. Mm. So yeah, people did. kind of knew what was happening at this point, but the the story hadn't been um narrativized on the Kardashians mm. yet. And they make every single one of the girls participate. They're all there, and yeah, and everyone, except traumatized. for traumatized. It's shocking. They were asking yeah. the parent, like, they're like, "What do we, what do we call you?" <laughs> and then Kaylin's <and> <laughs> so just like, "You can call me whatever you like." And like, maybe we'll call you like Mom and Dad, like mad because you're a little crazy and everyone laughs laughs as if everything is okay while they're all clearly (laughs) melting
1: into pieces on the inside. (laughs) It's also the, um, just the way that she, she doesn't even sort of, she, again, she's very passive. And the, the confrontation with Chloe especially is really interesting, I think, because she doesn't communicate at all, like at all. Like, she, and I think this is a fundamental flaw of Caitlyn Jenner's character, is that she's so passive and removed. Uh, and I think she she sort of assumes the exterior world is uh, like privy to her interiority when it isn't. Um, and so you get these like harrowing scenes where she's talking to her child And she's like, yeah, so like, you know, when I, when I've, when I've got this surgery and then I'll do this. And then they're like, wait, so you're going to be a girl now? And it's like, they didn't even realize that. Like she, she just did not communicate at all. And it leads to all these misunderstandings, but it's, again, it's that passivity and that sort of, like, sure, she's doing this monumental thing and she's, you know, she's had all the meetings, she's planned the reality show, she's done all of this, but somehow in her actual interpersonal life, she just is not there.
0: No, there isn't an interesting element because I think um she constantly is telling everyone in the show, like, Bruce isn't dying, you know, like, you know, because Chris is yeah. always like crying about like, oh, I'm like losing. Was I my ever husband. married? Was, Was I-, I ever married? They're, they're changing your name on the birth certificate. Was I ever <laughs> married?
1: <laughs> it's all it's about it. me.
0: <laughs> Which, by the way, it totally is. Like, oh yeah. Like God, also, Chris. Uh huh.
1: Chris Jenner, an unwitting specification hypno girl, right? Like that's a whole think... shtick. Like she pacified so. Bruce. Uh,
0: oh yeah, that. Well, I mean, yeah. she was like negging him constantly for the relationship. Like she by accident, like, feminized him house yeah. down, like, <laughs> over the 25 years of their marriage. Mm. Which is so long. It's very long, especially for famous people. Yeah. My goodness. It's, yeah, you saw them, like, uh, triumph over everything, but, yeah, Chris is always like, I'm losing a husband, like, it's like, he's died, and, you know, <laughs> Caitlyn is always like, no, like, I'm not dead, you know, it's me, but better... Um, but you can definitely tell that she does think that she's killing the author and is, like,
1: no, well, strangling this is the thing. Bruce There's an in- to death. There's an inherent contradiction in her because she's saying mm-hmm. he's not dead. But she also will always talk about him as a different person. Will always be like... And, and the way the girls talk about it, but... like, I don't know what Caitlin's going to be like. And it's like, well, obviously she's going to be the same person. She's literally just the same person but they don't seem to be able to kind of conceive of that. And I think, again, that's kind of like symbolic of where where understanding, understandings of transness were then. Um, but it also is kind of symptomatic of it being such a watershed moment because it's like there's before and then there's after. There's the American man who wilts away into sort of sissification and passivity. And then there's this sort of supersonic bionic uh plastic woman Mm -hmm. who is you know i want a caitlin jenner selfie book that's what i want yeah i want
0: selfish starring caitlin because Yeah. yeah let's let's talk about her after the transition so um obviously she had this like huge year of being probably one of the most famous women in the world where she, everyone was thinking, talking about her. She was ambiently in the air as like the cultural happening. Is she was like nine eleven.
1: That she, wa- she was. She was. She was nine eleven. Well, nobody want to talk about it. But there's that one um, uh, picture of her and Lana Del Rey at like some kind of gala. Uh huh. And they both look so haunted to be standing next to each other, but they're both <laughs> smiling. Um. <laughs> And that kind of speaks to the ubiquity of Caitlyn Jenner at that point in time, because she was just everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone was inviting her. And she won the Courage Award for, like, Um, being a woman. The the Des... The Espy? Sorry, the Despy is the
0: thing they did on Drag Race a few seasons ago. No, it's the Arthur Espy Courage Award. Yes.
1: Yeah. Like, why?
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I recently read that it was, like, pretty much, like, planned by, like, disney um because like disney owned like espn and it was like mm. a cross promotional thing with a diane sawyer interview mm. um and so they they kind of like asked to get caitlin the award i don't really care because all awards are fake anyway yeah um, i mean there's no such thing as a real award yeah and it's like when they were like doing like and that was happening it, it's funny because of course there's the grandiosity that we both see in it but then there's also like Kylie and Kendall fighting in their house about who's going to wear which dress to the SEA yeah. Awards. Yeah, And it's it's pretty stunning stuff to see happen in real time. But I think the most fascinating thing about Caitlyn post-transition is her lust for life and her mm. effervescent joy that just radiates from her. And she does appear haunted, gangly, um, poochy. Gangly is key scary like seven foot (laughs) tall Godzilla monster like literally like play the Godzilla theme it's like her coming ashore like Caitlyn Jenner comes ashore Shin Godzilla realness but like through all of it she owns that she is fucked up and that she Mm. is some sort of like abomination and she loves it and she is happy to be alive and I just feel that burns so brightly in her spirit
1: What I think is interesting about her these days is, you know, I Am Kate didn't get renewed after series two. Great loss Mm. for the culture. Um, I mean, I very much doubt that she hangs out with any of those girls anymore. And I very much doubt that she still is having those kinds of conversations. Um, Because you have the, the whole (laughs) The whole par issue. And then you have her sort of uh, living with that trans girl, uh, startup woman and the Lumisol brand and this kind of weird, like sort of quasi-influencer, but like who's she influencing really at this point thing. And then you have her politics her her into politics where she kind of seems to have like i don't know it's like she she sort of because in i am kate she kind of and i think what's interesting about that program is that the way it's edited sort of shows her as being wrong a lot Mm -hmm. and she's the executive producer but it shows her as being it lets her be criticised a lot. And that's something that I noticed when I was rereading the Vanity Fair interview as well. Like it lets her, well, and like her as a father be criticised a lot. And so there's this, although she in actual interactions is really stubborn, there's this sort of nuance in the product that you get as a a reader or a viewer, where the, the other side kind of gets to just show her that she's wrong. Yeah, well,
0: I think it's because um, she kind of established this Ouroboros with herself. Like, when she decided mm. that she wanted to kind of establish herself as, like, a trans icon, she also had to thus ensuingly reconcile with, like, the coming surging tide of, like, trans social justice. And those mm. two concepts of trans social justice and Caitlyn Jenner are very fundamentally at odds with each other. And so on I Am Kate this, like, e-show that's made virtually in the exact same style as Keeping Up with the Kardashians in its later seasons. Um, mm. It has, like, the same, like, texture and, like, kind of, like, mm. boring, salad-consuming, like, talking-about-nothing, endless, like, yeah. soap opera tone. Like, mm. it is so interesting that we watch her, like, be wrong and um, gets she gets, like, yelled at by, like, trans activists, like, multiple mm. times over. She bickers with them. Um, And then in, like, the most, like, surreal image of them all in the first season, they put them all in a fucking bus, in a fucking trailer, and rocket them across America. And we have, like, Caitlyn Jenner in her gangly form, like, in a desert with eight trans women of all varying shapes, sizes, and ethnicities (laughs) on fucking motorbikes. And everyone is, like, pressing their hands to their temples being like, oh, my God, what the fuck do we do about this person? She's conservative. What do we do?
1: Well, no. Oh and then what I th- <laughs> what I think is interesting, and I want to because there's more to unpack about I Am Kate, But what I think is interesting is that now in this kind of slightly removed version of her that we have, especially post her um, was it governor? She was running for governor. Post the governor campaign, yeah. Um, where she kind of isn't as sort of uh, she's not giving us as much. I would say. Um, although she is offering for the small fee of a hundred thousand pounds to play a course of golf with her, so you know you can do that. It was on her Insta stories today. Anyway, I say um, that. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, but I, I need a crowd
0: crowdfunded for that. Like, <laughs> yeah, can we like hundred thousand dollars to like get me to go play golf with Kate? Like, come on.
1: Uh, <laughs> but you'd have to you'd have to Facetime me in
0: just so I could say hi. Oh, of course, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, but no, she seems to have kind of revert not reverted but sort of embrace this idea that she can be a trans woman and be republican and be very deeply conservative and those two things can coexist and she's just kind of having fun with it like she's on like fox news like saying keep trans women out of spot you know like it's just sort of insane um but she's so like yeah, she's sort of glowing with it. Well, the thing is, is that, like, her politics means shit to me. Because,
0: like, like you said, she's mm. kind of, like, delineated herself to, like, the Fox News talking head layer. Which is, like, mm. about the worst, most obnoxious thing you can be. I have no time for it at all. Not interested. Mm. But the thing about her is that it's, like this glittering awkward Marina Abramovich, the artist is present confrontation mm. because like when you see her like dealing with these like conservatards that she's like bickering like with about like trans stuff and they're like be agreeing there is this fundamental tension and awkwardness that she introduces because of her and her buxom long hair <laughs> and, like mm.
1: i think that she, she
0: she's such a thorn in the side like she's actually like a, a true john waters like figure in that way
1: Mm. And she always does that head to the side the other side mm. Well, it's a
0: complex well, issue. It's a complex what, issue why? when it comes to the trans swimmers like
1: <laughs> and We've just... gotta protect women's spaces
0: <laughs> Sure girl, but it's so funny too because like she <laughs> introduces that like awkward like malfunction and I, it's like she kind of, I wouldn't say like decayed, but like Definitely like her half life started approaching, like quite soon after I Am Kate was canceled. And now, mm. whenever she shows up in Hollywood, like the video of her interacting with Lady Gaga, she is just oh. this like girl. She's like this <laughs> fucking jagged object that just creates like s- cracks and fissures but wherever she Lady goes. Fuck Lady Gaga.
1: But just, like, fuck more. Lady Gaga for that. That was rude. Like, it was so <laughs> rude. And also, Like, I'm sorry, but Lady Gaga, that is a trans woman. You're supposed to support these people. I don't care if she's a fucking Republican. Like, you made your career off of (laughs) pretending to care about these people. Fucking say hello and be nice. I
0: love that video. Because I love watching Gaga, (laughs) like, like, strain... with no idea, like, what
1: she's supposed to say, being like,
0: oh, I actually have a different barista. (laughs) Like,
1: (laughs) that's high art. And of course, it's at the fucking Elton John AIDS Foundation. Of course.
0: Such a sleigh. Like, that is the total crystallization (laughs) of why I find Caitlyn so compelling. Because just by being the fierce, cunty Republican (laughs) woman that she always dreamed of being... Because she she, can be both.
1: Yeah, she can. And she is. Because... If she was a cis woman, her being a Republican woman, like, it would mean, you know, nothing. like, it would, like, nothing, nothing at all. Like, she has every right to be, because if she was a cis woman, no one would be mad at her about it. She'd I just like be another that she's Republican conservative, woman.
0: because it's funny, and it's, like, it's glittering, because it's, like, when I love people who are provocateurs and thorns in the sides. I like people who piss people off and don't sit nicely into any organized little group. You can't, no Mm. one can claim her. Trans people can't Mm. claim her. Conservatives don't want to claim her. She is entirely Mm. her own effulgent spirit.
1: Can we address perhaps the most harrowing image to come out of I Am Kate? Which is when they kind of, it's somewhere in series two and the ongoing saga of Candace's love life sort of floundering uh, is sort of forced upon the audience alongside the ongoing will they won't they with her and Kate Uh, and then (laughs) they decide they decide to go to a wedding dress shop and all put on wedding dresses and the kind of subtext is like, oh, well, we're trans girls, so we're not going to get to do this otherwise. We're not going to get to get married otherwise. So then there's, there's this harrowing image of them all, like sipping, champ- well, Prosecco probably, uh, in these not very beautiful wedding dresses, being kind of giggly and excited. And to as a trans woman watching it, I I cannot express how harrowing I found that. That's like Inland just Empire. A, it's so disturbing. It, was, it it. I mean, honestly, like it was like, yeah, that that image haunts me, and I think it speaks to like sort of the 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 inherent tragedy of just kind of f- transness, but also Caitlyn Jenner specifically. Um, and yet, it's not her tragedy because she's kind of above it. It's the other girls that are more invested. She's too busy being passive and asexual. And but it, her but, I don't her ATV just...
0: and driving cars and getting Starbucks yeah, and Yeah, yeah, like... but it's
1: that, that loneliness of those Annie Leibovitz images. It, yeah, that, that image. I mean, I don't know what to say about it apart from that it really... You know, I had to drink With, a lot of wine after
0: that. I mean, it makes sense that she is capable of engendering such intense feeling because, like, she's such a generator. Like, despite the fact yeah. that she's so passive, like we said, like, just her her misfit in society is, like, enough to pr- like create those, like, grandiose images. And mm. no one would dare to, like, watch I Am Kate and, like, see it through to that. And it's so worth it because, like, mm. it speaks to all of this uh, torment that exists in trans women's lives which are quite clearly there's a lot of uh agony and a lot oh, of oh uh... god
1: i am in so much pain ah! <laughs> <laughs> every fucking day i wake up and i hurt um but also... the cursed
0: wedding dresses like every trans yeah. girl in the world has been ah! in that wedding dress a million times
1: but but what i think is also interesting and this is gonna a link to where we're going later on but when you think of when i when i see those images of these and it's similar to at the end of series one where they're doing the like name confirmation thing and boy george shows up and fuck knows what's going on there and they're all in these white dresses in the valley and you know i it just to me it just evokes what lana's invoking when she does white dress and when she does uh chemtrails and when she does the um, Freak music video in 2015 Mm -hmm. of these like valley girls in white dresses, sort of drifting about in this slightly haunted, lost, innately feminine, but kind of inaccessible. Like you, you you know, you can't, that they represent so much that the interiority you can't get to, but you know that these people are lonely and sad. And and there's basically, yeah, in, in that wedding dress, Seen, They they kind of become that that, you know, Lana manifesting with her with her yoga teacher girlies and
0: They become like these cultural wraiths of inaccessible abysses of sadness that we all know lies directly underneath the skin for everyone. I mean this torment and pain is real for everyone and the dreams of being the exactly actualized person you want to be Mm -hmm. you know the the tragedy and failure and the distance between your idealized self and who you actually are on this earth it all Mm. exists in that wedding dress and she so beautifully translates her own image into this Mm. cultural wraith that we all have to sit with and the fact that it's so janky and awkward and embarrassing and she's writing yeah. her memoir about how she's just wondering if all of this is a fetish and she'll never know um the tragic yeah. note of her getting the last uh, surgery at the end of the memoir on mm. the last page i mean mm. wait let oh. me
1: pull that up let me pull that up yeah, I'd love Very it if you could
0: re- read that last uh that last. Because also, this us. is
1: interesting, because I never did. I was going to, and I waited so I know, you so were long. going
0: to. And I actually recall you said that part of the reason you didn't do it is because I <laughs> influenced you
1: not to. Yeah, because I was like, if I get surgery, I'll be boring. Like, there's something... I, who was it? Somewhere, someone said something about how... Maybe it was you. It might have been you. Where, like, the tea girls... No, 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 it's Candy Darling. Candy Darling in her journals said that all the trans girls she knew who had surgery, once they had the surgery, they sort of lost that spark, that edge, that made them kind of blisteringly alive and they became something less. Um, And I can completely understand that because if I didn't have my dick and I Became fully the thing that society probably wants me to be, of the thing that is fucked and that isn't like a, a dominant sexual agent that, that doesn't top. Mm-hmm. Then I am but a vessel for someone else's ideas of me. I'm not, you know, tragically pursuing that 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 image in the wedding dress in the white dress when I was a waitress. Um. So yeah, anyway, Caitlin, wait, I knew I forgot something. After much deliberation, I had, and this is capitalized, the final surgery in January 2017. The surgery was a success and I feel not only wonderful, but liberated. I am telling you because I believe in candor, so all of you can stop staring. You want to know, so now you know. Which is why this is the first time, and the last time, I will ever speak of it.
0: But I am getting so tired of this woke world. Um, I've done so much for the trans community, bringing this issue forward, put millions of dollars through my foundation into groups, and worked so hard to do it. I don't think anybody deserves that. But, you know, that's the bigger story is uh, the woke world is out there, and we're fighting it, and people have
1: to stand up. So, are they coming after you because you don't have the opinion on this that 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 feeds their narrative that they expect you to have on this issue? Um. I guess you could yeah, I don't. Know.
0: Bannisters is Lana Del Rey's 2021 Magnum Opus. Um, this and Ultraviolence are personally tied for my favorite Lana albums. And this, like Caitlyn Jenner, is a burningly bright human image that is so beautifully self-obsessed. It it peers so deep into the navel that you feel as if you are witnessing a soul become literalized before you. It's also the greatest summation of American cultural politics and the general vibe of whatever is happening in that accursed country. And (laughs) I have... Uh, loved having it spin uh, in the background of my life for the last uh, two years. Mm. It's one of the only new records I've bought on vinyl and regularly still um, put on to listen to front to back. And wow, it is um, beautiful in every facet. But, okay, Mm. tell me about uh, your first reaction as this record started coming out. This is the Mm. second one in one year because Chemtrails also came out that year. Yeah,
1: yeah. Also, just before I do that, I think it's interesting that Ultraviolence is your other favorite because the last quarter of the album has, like, offcuts from Ultraviolence, right? So mm-hmm. they're clearly coming from a similar place. Um, yeah, so, um, well, I think when those singles were coming out with the um, the Pixar covers, uh, For me, something always happens when Lana releases a single because of how formative she was for me. I mean, I transitioned because of her. Um, She was the first time I came across a sort of depiction of femininity that I felt like I could be a part of, I could do as well. Um, Whenever she releases anything, it makes me write like a crazy person but i think this album it was more so than any of the others when because because the songs are so rightly, when wild f- uh which way around is it is it wildfire wildfire or wild yeah it's, it's wildfire wildfire when wildfire wildfire <laughs> and um blue banisters and um whatever the other one's called let me get it up uh um textbook, of course. When those three came out, the way every single one of them is so sprawling in its lyrical content and also just long and confessional to the point of being almost sort of just like her thoughts, a stream of consciousness. um, Yeah, it just kind of completely ignited me creatively. And I think it's a writer at the height of her powers and i think um like in a way her whole discography had sort of been building up to this release which i feel like Mm -hmm. we got a got a glimpse of maybe in like hope is a dangerous thing where it feels like you're literally just listening to pages lifted from her journal and she um I mean she reveals the bl- the biggest plot twist of 21st century popular culture which is that she didn't ever have daddy issues she had mummy issues. Yeah, um, I remember in Red Scare we talking
0: about this um episode 2 that they they kind of pinpointed like that was actually like one of the most like mm-hmm. interesting Uh, revelations of the album is not that she was like preoccupied with a father figure but was actually with uh, that of like an absent mother and for me I just I couldn't stomach the reaction to this when it came out because there was Mm. so much picking apart because she was you know generous and corpulent enough to give us two records in one year both of very Uh. high quality people Mm. are inclined to start obnoxiously comparing them and picking at Mm. every single detail and trying to make a definitive statement about which is better. And I've always found that to be such a lousy and uncreative approach to an artist's oeuvre. Like... Absolutely. Lana Del Rey is not a series of albums. It is a single mm-hmm. sustained character and point of view that she has been continuing and developing since her first album. And it is a single gamut of music from which you can enter at different points and see different stages in this depiction of herself. And
1: well, if you I'm like just, one album,
0: you have to like all of them. And that's the rule.
1: No, and but also I think even before that, because I think one thing with Lana Del Rey is that probably only like Bob Dylan before her, the bootlegs are such a big part of being someone who enjoys her music. And the the Lana Del Rey project really begins like in 2000, and I don't know, like maybe like eight, in terms of like the demos and what they're going for. And I think, um, in that early stuff that she's doing where she kind of does these like almost like Britney-esque uh, pop songs um, and then she does the sort of vintage Amy Winehouse inflected ones like Queen of Disaster uh, yeah so Behind Closed Doors and then Queen of Disaster there's a trajectory there but when she emerged and came onto the scene as Alana Del Rey this very sort of seemingly curated, uh, a very specifically produced artist, which she then sort of vomited all over with ultraviolence in the most beautiful and amazing way with Dan Albach and that whole sound. I feel like all of that has been just a gradual unraveling towards this this point that we're now at where she's putting out this stuff um, that is so rightly and it it makes sense that she did a poetry book around this time as well um i mean i just think she's the greatest living american poet Um, yeah
0: i completely agree and she reads like the confessional poets as well and like this quality of being able to like create your own image and then narrativize it and pull it mm-hmm. apart for your entire career is what has made Madonna so fascinating to me. It's why I love Utari Hikaru so much. It's
1: mm-hmm. why,
0: um, you know, I'm not really into her last album and have kind of soured on her recently, but Bjork as well, like, mm-hmm. I feel like also has, was maybe past tense capable of this. But, like, mm-hmm. I feel like this kind of ability to, um, by looking so deeply into yourself and translating Mm. it into a single image is like very Caitlyn Jenner-esque. And I feel like- it's,
1: it's the, you know, the Born to Die album cover has the same potency in terms of Americana as the Vanity Fair cover. Totally. Like, hands down. And what's funny about that is that the Born to Die album cover was shot about 45 minutes away from where I grew up in Watford. In the UK? <laughs> yeah, that's not America. That's a fucking British fence. Really? Because she was living in London then, and that's why she ended up with Ed Tapp and Huh. I had no that. idea.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, no,
1: it's crazy. It's fascinating and it's interesting. And I think it also is interesting that we're we're doing we're having this conversation about these two sort of fundamental images of Americana, but you know, you're an expat in Japan and I'm a British girl. Like there's something about that displacement, which Caitlyn Jenner is because she's, she was the American man and just kind of like completely blew that up. And then Lana for, for how she puts, she, she, she touches on these pressure points a bit of the, the idea of America. And I think in Blue Banisters, especially in a way she hadn't done before when she's, you know, singing about Black Lives Matter and all of this, Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something really interesting about that. I need to blow my nose.
0: Oh, do it. (laughs) You totally took the words out of my my mouth when you said, like, that displacement is, like, so essential. Because, like, I've always thought this to be true. The people who have ever been best at, like, commenting on a culture are ones who have abstracted themselves from it because it lends you greater, you know insight into it that's why Henry Miller is one of my favorite American authors of all time is because he spent Mm. most of his life abroad you know like after swallowing American like American imagery whole as a young person he had to go to France uh, so that he could like process it and see it from a distance and Lana's own like relationship oh absolutely yeah Yeah, like I love I love the confessional poets like I did an Anne Saxon episode like I oh I'm obsessed with them (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Anne, I love Anne. That's my girl. That's Madonna's girl. Madonna loves yeah. Anne.
0: I, yeah. I'm obsessed with them. And that kind of screaming hysteria, like, translates really well to these, like, mm. absorbingly long pop songs. Um, You mentioned mm. that, like, Blue Bannisters has, like, all these, like, five, six-minute songs on it. And it's, like, I love luxuriating and, like, taking the bath mm. in these ultra-long songs that like go on forever and are so atmospheric and the way that she like summons America in that like sad white dress like flowing in the wind in the middle of like Mm. Wisconsin and Montana and like all of these uh worn out American images she does it with so much earnesty that like I almost understand why people have such a visceral reaction to this and think it's so bad because they can't see that she is like sewing america out of the gauze of like the trashy uncomfortable mm. stuff that makes it so potent
1: mm, completely and i think it's all there in i mean textbook opens the album right and you have yeah. that that plucked that plucked guitar sound uh, uh that has that kind of like it's got some kind of like decay on it and that reverb and it just is so it punctuates the silence and hangs there and that that guitar sound that twang is so american and it's the same Mm -hmm. the same sound that you have at like the beginning of blue jeans way back at the beginning of her career um it's the sound is inherently it's like the, it's sound the sound of, like, David Caitlin Lynch. getting
0: in the car. <laughs> yes, it's, like, yes. all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um... But no, Lost it's Highway. Cruise. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: Caitlyn knocking over the woman. You know, like, it's all of these things. Um, the tragedy of
0: that guitar sound, and when it kind of oh. climaxes into that beautiful chorus where it is, like, erupting Play with...
1: World screaming Black Lives <laughs> Matter! Black Lives Matter! <laughs>
0: I want to read those lyrics out because they're some of the most important on the album. So I'm going to read Mm. this. You've got a Thunderbird. Oh. My daddy had one too. (laughs) Let's rewrite history. I'll do this dance with you. You know I'm not that girl. You know I'll never be. Maybe just the way we're different could set me free. And there we were, screaming Black Lives Matter, in the crowd by the old man river. And I saw you saw who I am. God, I wish I was with my father. He could see <laughs> us in all our splendor. All the things I couldn't want for him. I screamed for them. I screamed <laughs> for them. This is literally what America is about. This is like what yeah. it means to be an American.
1: I mean, it's, um, I also think the the sublimation of Old Man River into that song into a song that is fundamentally about her relationship with her father and her mother and being a white girl is so sort of, uh, so clumsy that it can't not be compelling. And so, so, unwilling to explain itself or make excuses for itself that it gets to this sort of truth of, you know, because at that time when she was like, what she's talking about then is that time when just before she deleted her Instagram, when she was going to the Black Lives Matter marches during COVID and filming the riots. And then everyone was canceling her because she was filming the people smashing shit up and they were like, Oh my God, you're going to get these people arrested. Like you're so stupid. And then she, did, like, a live where she was crying about not being a racist. Like, it was a mess. But that mess in this song becomes just this kind of transcendent portrait of... America, the woman, (laughs) dealing with Uh its legacy. No, it's right.
0: Here's the thing, is that, like... Nobody wants to swallow this whole, digest it, and understand it. Because Black Lives Matter, as, like, a cultural event, was clumsy and strange and off-putting, and no one knew how to deal with it. And it was just, like, happening in the cultural static around us, and no one has been brave enough to try to use it for anything in their art. And, like, the thing is, is that to be, like alive in a young person and you know have your finger even like even just barely touched to the pulse of what's going on around you is that you had to be affected by that I wasn't Mm -hmm. in America and I still was like so rattled and possessed with like the endless (laughs) imagery of things on fire and the emotional hysteria and all of this like outpouring of feeling and Lana Del Rey is the only artist who has dared to evoke that power that was just flowing around us and no Mm. one no one will fucking say anything about it she is the only one who's brave enough to do it and she's right Mm. because the black lives matter protests and the way that she sings about them it's not about like racial justice or like victory or like justice or any of these ideas what it is is it's like the awkward protest that like you are relating to some relationship you have with some man and feeling your soul getting, like, ripped apart by culture as you're just staring mm. into the eyes of the man you love and relating him to your father. Like, that's actually what happens in culture. That's what happens during these enormous moments in history. It's not, mm. like, you're not swallowing the whole greatness of it at once or the power of it. You are, like, mm. hung up on the way your boyfriend is looking at you while you're, like, marching next to him.
1: Yeah and honestly something about what you just said really brought to mind um Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man which I feel like in a lot of ways is like the great American novel of sort of uh yeah of being a aw- being aware of like um America as inherently built upon racism
0: Well, I don't even, like, you know, I don't even know if it has anything to do with the real racism. And I I would say, honestly, that, like, the song isn't about that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever racism, what role it plays in, is, like, Mm. negligent to the fact that, like, it happened while it was, like, while she Mm. was alive and she was involved in it and she felt an emotion there. And then she channeled it into the gauze that she imagines America with in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But I do think you can kind of put shit further than that in that um there's a particular scene and it's been a while since i read it but there's a particular scene in invisible man where there's riots going on in um i I think it's harlem and uh he's sort of walking through the streets and ending up sort of vicariously involved in these riots and kind of trying to outrun them and avoid them uh and those images for me were so kind of blistering and Uh, just affecting and then when you put someone like Lana Del Rey in not the same scene but a scene that kind of is the descendant of that in terms of its sort of cultural weight I think something really interesting happens and something very sort of um, honest about uh, what it means to exist in a culture that has all of this noise and all of this history and pain. uh, And how, as an individual, she kind of posits herself in it and reckons with it. Because what she's doing on this album is
0: she's like entombing America, like within her own body. Exactly,
1: exactly. And that's what I mean. And that that image, yeah, that image kind of reeks of it,
0: right? Right, like on um, Arcadia, which is another song I've I've heard people complain endlessly about being like, why is she singing America, America over and over again? Hasn't she done this? Before? No, bitch, don't be stupid. Like, my body uh. is a map of LA. Like, she's literally summating her flesh as, like, this grand line of American um, history. And as she's gaining weight and is, mm, like, mm, mm. her relationship is changing with her body, she says... My curves, San Gabriel all day, and my Mm. lips like the fire licks the bay. If you think Mm. that you know yourself, you can come over, lay your hands on me like you're a Land Rover. This is what I'm talking about. Like, she, (laughs) in the same way that Caitlyn Jenner does, she turns her physical form into Mm. this endless input for, like, cultural impulses and American ideas and returns it in these beautiful clumsy off-putting images and like the clumsiness of, of all of it is just like Caitlin and that sly look on her face on the Annie Leibovitz
1: cover. And you get it in the Arcadia music video because you kind of see that she has physically got wider Mm-hmm. and the way the the effect of the video works is that her like her chest is like a green screen and it has like space on it or whatever but the expanse of her chest is so much sort of like her boobs are like low down and far apart and there's just this like weirdly large expanse that is full of these stars and it's kind of like she's she's broader and then you cut at the end to the Tarantino trio trap bit where she's you know, busting her pussy. And yeah, you're right. Her, her body is changing. Her relationship to America is changing. And I feel like that video really just lays out for you in quite subtle and kind of um, in extravagant ways. What, what and the- she's doing throughout the album, which you get in Black Bathing Suit, right? Oh God, okay, Black Bathing Suit is maybe my favorite song from her ever it's it's fucking genius. And the
0: original title of it was it was going to either be If This Is the End I Want a Boyfriend or Grenadine oh. Quarantine. And once again I keep bringing this up but I have like had to live like with like people just like being like caddy about this album when they're all like so fucking wrong about it. But mm. that line Grenadine Quarantine I like you a lot. It's LA, hey on Zoom, Target parking lot. Um, Okay, this is a perfect image and if this is (laughs) the end, I want a boyfriend. This is fucking genius.
1: Are you not, are people not paying attention? Because the thing about Lana Del Rey, what she does is she places images of like Americana but also just like modernity and then puts them alongside these huge feelings and sudden, and that's where the nostalgia comes from, and this yes. kind of feeling of like vintage aesthetics is that she puts these, this iconography, next to this huge feeling with no explanation, and suddenly that that image is imbued with that feeling, and everything takes on this sort of like, just massive huge sublimity.
0: Yeah, mm, that's ex- which you
1: I mean, yeah, you
0: probably feel this way about like little things. Like I will get torn up and emotional like buying fried chicken at the convenience store Mm. and I'm drunk and drag with my friends or like when I like last night I opened a pack of cigarettes and I knew I only had one left and it was like torn in two and it's like Mm. these things are like little events but when you open your heart to sublimity and the grandiosity Mm -hmm. of art then actually everything is like this huge swaying like emblem of emotion that points to the entire cultural history of where you are. And Lana doing that all over this album with, like, stuff as awkward as COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter Mm. riots and Zoom calls and, Mm. like, even on chemtrails when she's, like, vaping in the microphone on her jewel, Like, Mm. God, like, she gets how I feel about what it means to, like, go through these little mundane processes in your life.
1: And I think that's what makes her... an artist and a poet because I think and one of the things I will always love about Lana Del Rey is the way she will leave things that are supposed to not resolve into a into a whole she will leave them Mm -hmm. side by side and not not like give you the satisfaction of explaining it or unpacking it and they're just left hanging there to resonate, and to mm-hmm. me, that's like the sign of like genius and a brilliant writer because it's you you don't need to explain yourself to justify yourself. you have the vision, and the truth speaks and I think in a lot of ways, blue banisters is just a lot of and the way she writes, the way these sentences are just kind of plucked from day-to-day life, and the way she invokes Picasso in Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what What's the lyric? It's like, uh, if someone has asked someone Picasso, had asked he must be what... sad.
0: Mm-hmm. Never uh, known never who, knew who he who was... was. <laughs> you read it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the man who... I'm not reading it, I'm reciting it. Never know who he was, the man who become, there'd be no blue period. Blah blah blah. Yep. you got uh, it. Yeah, I did. And like, that's such like a sort of kind of tone-deaf summation of Picasso as an artist, and also, like, probably not kind of, if you're an art historian, at all correct, and yet that image hangs there in that song and adds this, this texture to what she's saying. That well, it's
0: more right just... that because she's wrong like the exactly exactly yeah, because that's how people perceive it and like that's like the truth mm. of like what has been like registered into the cultural tone and yeah maybe like it wasn't exactly that he was like depressed during the blue period or like something as simple as that or it's like a little mm. tone deaf in regards to the endless woman he made kill themselves which yeah <laughs> fierce by the way I mean like yeah very I'd love, Lana. To,
1: I'd love to be one of them Yeah,
0: exactly. God, I'm I'm waiting for someone to, like, rip my life up that way so severely. But, like, you Mm. know, the fact that she's wrong makes it all the more true and, like, prescient and Mm. moving. And one thing I especially love about Beautiful is that, like, when you become and you are willingly allowing your flesh to become this huge symbol, what can happen to you is, like, you can end up, like the depiction of Marilyn Monroe in Blonde, where you'll just be, like, Mm. raped to pieces and plagued with abortions (laughs) and then die miserably by yourself. Like, but she kind of refuses that and she actually accepts that, like, the tragedy and the heartache and the expanse of the emotion of those trans girls and the dresses and I Am Kate is actually something that can be mined for beauty.
1: Yes! And also, about that song specifically, uh, it's interesting as well because... And I mean, this is something that's interesting about Lana in general, you know, harmonically, she is not particularly adventurous. All of her songs use very simple chord structures, and she really doesn't stray from them. Um, and beautiful, you know, it's the sa- it's the same four-, four chords that like every other song has and mm-hmm. the same chords to love. Um, and she takes this sort of, you know, like, template of a pop song, which it, as someone who writes songs, it can feel like these chord sequences that have been used again and again, are just sort of like creatively, you know, they feel like they've kind of been sort of wrung of all their worth. There's not, there's no like juice left in them. There's nothing left to get out of them. And she takes these chord sequences and puts her very simple melodies, which she records in her voice notes, Sends to her producer on top her her lyrics that are so intuitive and sort of uh, confessional, and you get something so beautiful and precise from that very kind of humble basic beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that simplicity that underscores a lot of what she does makes the the power of her songwriting all the more potent. Absolutely, uh,
0: it makes me emotional. And it's why she's genius. It makes why she's a genius so emotional. I could like fucking cry, like thinking about her in these modes, like with the beautiful Pixar cover, just like being Mm. like, oh my Mm. god, don't turn me
1: into something I'm not. There's no way to sustain it. Mm. And the Pixar covers as well. Something freaky was going on with the eyes in those pictures because as each cover progressed, there would be, like, eyes on her her clavicle and, like, the, her eyes would be, like, copy and pasted over her body. Um, which, to me, reeks of, like, Elizabeth I and her dress, of the painting of her where she's wearing a dress covered in eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. And that was all about... I mean, Elizabeth I, who's, in some ways, the first famous trans woman Um, is all about an image, curating an image and then projecting it. And that image being a sort of vessel for a nation's sense of patriotism, but also beauty and kind of honor and valor. And Lana is exactly the same thing for America. She's America's Elizabeth the first, you know? And she has eyes and ears on her because she sees everything. I mean, Uh, just like elizabeth the first no one because she's a trans woman too no
0: one could do anything like that unless like they had the courage to sing lyrics like you name your babe lilac heaven after your iphone 11 crypto forever screams your (laughs) stupid boyfriend (laughs) fuck you kevin fuck you kevin that's so (laughs) powerful and um only like someone with her kind of courage and cultural foresight could ever be bold enough to put that into a song and it's so beautiful and makes my heart want to explode i hate everyone who has ever spoken poorly about this album because they're all wrong and they have shut their heart out to to what is real and true about america right now agreed i don't don't hate everyone who said it i'm sure i like enough of you but you've made me very stressed and frustrated over the last two years (laughs)
1: Let's talk about, because we haven't really talked about, I think potentially two of my favorite songs of all time ever, Uh um, Nectar of the Gods and Living Legend, which are both, I think, ultraviolence offcuts. I think that's correct. And they're both these songs that describe a man who is like deeply abstracted, but sort of... Imbued with this kind of godlike power, and in the context of the he feels like America, he feels like that idea of you know my father. uh What I want for him, screaming Black Lives Matter, but fundamentally they're two like just beautifully constructed, simple, understated love songs with this, like, tragic bend at their heart. Yeah, because even when
0: she doesn't, like, rely on the, you know, the kind of iPhone images that we've talked a lot about, like, I still, she still can just write such an evocative and emotional, like, love song that just, like, makes me feel like I'm reliving all of my great loves at once.
1: And baby you and other things you do and other ways you move. Send me straight to heaven. I mean, like that mm-hmm. is just like that's the American Songbook, you know? Totally, American Songbook is exactly
0: how I would describe it. Um, I love Thunder yeah. too. That's a big one for <gasps> me. Mm.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, and she gets her she gets her black woman chorus back for that one
0: yes i love how she fucking screams on this album too like on black bathing suit when she's like so unhinged she's like ripping out her hair and like yelling yes catharsis mama
1: yes yes yeah absolutely
0: like Mm -hmm. i love that we are alive in an era where one of the most prescient pop stars is like screaming on a song about how she she's too fat for all of her clothes and only that (laughs) black bathing suit will fit her and it's so beautiful and makes you feel so much ecstasy to be
1: alive. Is it the line when she's screaming it's like I really made stacks out of it and she's talking about... It's
0: her being petty about like haters like...
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which I love. But this is the thing, this is where, you know, Taylor Swift and like, uh, you know, I mean there's no point in like comparing female artists or whatever but Shake It Off, compared to that. Like, there's just no comparison. I love Shake
0: It Off, personally. I mean, I love it as a camp song,
1: (laughs) but in terms of what it's sort of touching upon, there's no comparison.
0: I feel like the way that Taylor touches Americana is a lot more obfuscated, (laughs) and requires more effort on my behalf. I've gone back and forth about her, like, four times Mm. in the last, like, three years, and I want to, like, kind of give her another whirl, because I... I'm suspecting that she's smarter than I was letting myself think she is, and I kind of like that she pisses everyone off.
1: If you do an episode on reputation, I will be there for that. That's all I'll say (laughs) on that. (laughs) That's what they all say.
0: Okay, so (laughs) we have gone through a lot of this album. I think we have really kind of summoned Lana's spirit out of it and what it means, but I want to talk about why this record and Caitlyn exist to me in the same breath. And Mm -hmm. it's because they both are these American figures that have allowed themselves to be a canvas for systems and mechanisms much larger than them. And they have both these, like, awkward, malfunctioning, somewhat, like, janky cogs in the overall machine. But because of that awkwardness, because of... Lana's bathing suit that doesn't fit, and because of Caitlyn's pooch when she's talking to Lady Gaga, you get to actually see (laughs) so much, like, history and the vibrance of being alive and forming yourself and presenting yourself to the world in both of them in a way that I find genuinely beautiful, unironically.
1: Mm. I agree, and I also think they both exist beyond the constraints of what is a very boring cultural moment in terms of being woke. Well, because they Um, take what
0: makes wokeness boring, and they, like, stab it. And they, like, prod it, and and make something (laughs) interesting of it, which is what everyone has to do. Like, yeah, we can't look at these, like, past four years behind us and just keep whining about it forever. Like, you have to start, like, mangling it, like Caitlyn Jenner and Lana do, and turn it into something vivid and glorious.
1: And also, like the question for the culture, you know, however <laughs> you feel about it, however you feel about it, and like everyone is entitled to feel how they feel about it. Um, in a way, was in itself like, like a beautiful piece of performance art, and like it her is. reaction to it, her reaction like right her response to the backlash. Yeah, I think she was it's, completely um, right. I well, th- I mean, yeah, and I also think that it was kind of symptomatic of that cultural moment that what she said was really taken out of context and uh, sort of weaponized against her. Um, At the Mariner's apartment complex. At the Mariner's fucking apartment complex. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But also what's funny about that is, you know, that was her like, that was her moment. Like, Norman fucking Rockwell was the time when finally, after years of like being maligned and sort of, scorned and told she was fake finally she was getting that kind of just general acceptance as an artist and as an individual and then lana just wakes up one day posts that and you know like it crumbles around her but like if anything else had happened that wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been anywhere near as compelling or as um sort of truthful to to the to the mess and the chaos of you know her as the the like chunky white girl in America.
0: I love her. I love Caitlyn. I love these awkward women who have swallowed everything around them and are willing to take and become these cultural objects and instead of succumbing to it and wallowing in misery forever, are mm. riding ATVs and John Deere's and mm. loving yes. being yeah. alive. It's
1: just gorgeous. And fucking painting their decking, you know? Like, paint your fucking decking. <laughs> As in the banisters. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> painting. Caitlyn Jenner is painting her banisters every day.
1: Yeah. like And, like, you know they're grey. You know they're fucking grey. Like her Malibu. brutalist house.
0: Her Brutus house, it really is, like, the fucking high-on-the-beach, like, house that, like, Lana literally, yeah. like, owns. Like, both of them are, like, lonely and tragic in dresses, walking around with literal guns <laughs> in these, like, yeah. dilapidated, oceanside, <laughs> California homes in which these two idols are literally creating cosmic energy out of a horrible, woke, boring, crap decade that we are finally able to squeeze her something interesting because of these two fierce girls. Yes.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, do you have any final comment? You know, as um, you did play one of the goddesses who um, I killed m- mercilessly so I can uh. recreate the world with my own hands and re-philosophize it, what should we take mm. out of Blue Bannisters and Caitlyn into my next universe?
1: Um, I, I think we should take... Thinking less. Saying more. Letting, allowing images to hang together without explaining them. And getting a blowout so your hair looks good.